Hello, friends, and welcome to a golf podcast unlike any other. This is Fairway Rollin' on the Ringer Podcast Network. I am your starter, Joe House. Every week on Fairway Rollin', it is myself and our PGA Tour correspondent on the ground, Nathan Hubbard, talking all things professional golf, amateur golf, amateur betting, professional betting, amateur drinking, professional drinking by birdie buddies. If you want to hit them straight out there, please check out Fairway Rolling every week. Available on Spotify. It's the Ringer NBA show presented by FanDuel. The second half of the NBA season is here and you can bet on the action with an assist from FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Parlay Hub. Filter by odds, sport, and bet type to easily find the most popular parlays and same-game parlays all in one page. Plus, start betting on the Explorer page and the Pulse and bet live same-game parlays for every NBA game. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gambling. Please visit theringer.com backslash RG to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 years and older and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit theringer.com backslash RG. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash RingerMBA. Just go to Indeed.com slash RingerMBA right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to Group Chat. I am Justin Ferrier, and joining me, two parade enthusiasts, Rob Mahoney, Big Waz. Gentlemen, congratulations. Waz, are you feeling like front of the parade, or should we be in the caboose? What, what, what's your vibe for, for our Denver situation? Uh, definitely front of the parade for Shosky. Um, something in our cup, for sure. And maybe, who knows, something in the air. You know, as they say, when in Rome, do as the Romans do. However, I do want to correct Justin. You have to congratulate me twice. Because as producer Isaiah knows, my side, Manchester City, won the treble this weekend. (laughs) Which was immediately followed up. And by the treble, guys, they won Champions League, FA Cup, and Premier League. Um, Anyway... They won that this weekend, so I was very happy in a celebratory mood. And the Denver Nuggets, who I predicted back in October, you can go listen to the October 15th episode of Weekends with Waz. Got the receipts. With with me and my man, Adam Mores. Go check that out. Um, Shouts to everybody over at DNVR. We predicted the Nugs would win the championship, but more importantly, because you'll be surprised to hear this, Justin, but I actually re-listened to my own podcast from nine months ago. and That doesn't surprise the, me at all. The most, <laughs> important, the, mo- <laughs> the most important part 
is that the reasons that we thought the Nuggets would win is exactly why. Dominant offense and an ability to lock in when needed, when absolutely necessary on defense, and they won. They won the chip, Rob. Look, we're only calling you champ Waz today. You're you're That's a double it. champion, two-time. Give the man his gold. Give the man his medals. What the, what the audience can't see right now is Waz, in the midst of all of that, took his shirt off and put on <laughs> some goggles. <laughs> I don't see any champagne nearby, but no, you know that's coming next. In short order, I will be that Chris Bosh meme. Do you guys remember Chris Bosh from the first championship? Just pouring, just oh, pouring yeah. champagne. Legendary. Uh, I will say, uh, you know, I got I to gotta do a little bit more reporting, but in the post-game championship locker room, you know, the media streaming in, it's wall-to-wall people, champagne is spraying everywhere. It's literally dripping from the ceiling. And off in, the, off in the corner, I see our guy Howard Beck, and I think he brought his own champagne goggles. And I'm like, this is a this is a veteran move because even the players, like they're constantly adjusting them. They're they're constantly complaining about their eyes stinging. I'm just in the splash zone every second that I'm in there. But Howard's on top of it. I got, I got to talk to Howard and see if he actually brought them or maybe he got a little assist from someone on the Nuggets staff. But that's a veteran play right there. Can we stay on this for one one second? Is this your first? championship champagne shower experience rob absolutely not i'm trying to think the first one might have been i'm trying to think it may have been 2011 wow the mavericks the mavericks one but it hits different on the road you know like that's a different Mm. environment in terms of the 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 champagne shower situation uh but yeah for those who have never been in a championship locker room it's like you were in a water park like you you come out (laughs) your clothes are fully drenched and there's nothing that players love more in that situation than, than spraying each other with bottles of champagne and spraying you as media members with bottles of champagne to the point that every like large camera in the vicinity is covered in a trash bag in the hopes that it might be functional by the end of the night. But honestly, probably aren't. And who cares? Like you got to capture what you can capture in those moments. And it is it's an incredible scene. Well, especially like the Nuggets where only one guy on that team has ever won a title. They were they Shouts were really Kenny. KCP. Kenny, so, shout out to Kenny. What's the recourse though on your end, Rob? Like, take me through the graduate moment after you've been sprayed with champagne. Like, are you working under those conditions, like all wet, or do you immediately go back to your hotel? Like, what what's the next move? Well, I look for for post game. I didn't even bother with the podium. I wanted to see what was happening in the locker room the whole time, and I will say the Nuggets probably went longer and harder in the locker room than any championship team I've ever seen. It was just like a constant party, people filtering in and out to attend to their various other responsibilities. So I just, I, I tried to wait out the party as long as I could. And then, yeah, I'm not, I'm not going to sit dripping Bruh. wet in a media seat and like media dining, trying to write off of that. I, I got to go home and change out of, out of the clothes at that point, but you got to write it out. And to their credit, the Nuggets guys brought it, you know, Nikola Jokic body slammed Jamal Murray into a swimming pool as part of the celebration and out, out in the back of the locker room. There were dance circles. There was music popping. Players, I thought, honestly, were very patient under the circumstances, fielding our bullshit questions in the middle mm. of their gigantic party. Uh, they were they were pretty generous with that stuff. But, man, it was a scene. And it was just incredible, an incredible moment of, of Nuggets history, but also of, like, individual history for these specific guys. Guys like Ish Smith and Jeff Green who have been around, who have never had this opportunity. Guys like Jamal and Nicola who are just, like, ascending this mountain for the first time and really have so much further yet to go. 
really an incredible moment. And honestly, one that was just like really genuinely cool to be a part of. Was that was just your Tuesday night, right? Just regular Tuesday. <laughs> no, I d- I do not get my clothes dirty with liquor on purpose uh, <laughs> for anybody what? or anything. So shouts to Rob, intrepid reporter <laughs> on the scene. You know the things we do for the story. Yeah. So all right, is that enough? Just general basking in the glory from from you guys. Was do you want like another five to ten? No, I think we could get into like the sort of. Bigger questions out of the championship, well, for sure. I'm happy to do that. Uh, one of I my mean, bigger questions is, Justin, is there anything you'd like to say for yourself Yeah. now like, that the Nuggets are NBA champions? You know? Uh, no. It seems like they had a nice time. <laughs> they did like, have a what, nice time. What, what What would you guys like from me? I'm not apologizing. I'm not like, media person should apologize to yeah, no. X because... No they were quote unquote wrong about them or just acknowledged that I've never seen you do X, Y, and Z thing. I don't see why I should believe that you will. That's, I don't think that's apology worthy. I'm just ge- genuinely want to know your takeaways from the Nuggets greatness and dominance this NBA postseason. Well, it probably brings us to our docket for this evening because it, it, I think what we're going to do here is try to spin it just slightly forward and, yeah. and talk about what we need to reconsider uh, just as a result of the Nuggets winning the finals. I mean, do I think about them any differently than I did before? Personally, yeah, they've been minted in a way that I think you can't take away from them, obviously. And so I I personally would put them into the mix of teams that are going to be title contenders for the foreseeable, but do I think that they are going to be the type of team that might stack titles and be a dynasty in the way that I think some people are already forecasting. I'm a little dubious. I'd like to wait and see for that to happen. But I think that's a fair question for you guys as well. Like Rob, like coming out of that title, this is like the first question that we have here. Like, do you see the Nuggets from this point on as more of a box, which we'll define that as a team that won a title, but has been in the mix, but clearly hasn't won it again. So they're just hanging around. They are in the upper crust. Or are we looking at more of like a Warriors or Warriors light situation where like, yeah, this team may might win two. They might win three out of five. Like, where are you on them long term? Yeah, I like the Warriors parallel. And I say that in part knowing that year two for the Warriors is losing in the finals. I think what's interesting about the Nuggets is when you look at the West specifically, I'm I'm looking, you know, obviously the Suns are going to try to get better. Teams like Clippers, the Clippers may be like more fully formed and healthy by the time they get into the playoffs. We'll see kind of what the Warriors have in store in terms of like flipping some of their players around and trying to improve their roster. But overall in that conference, I think the Nuggets look like a pretty heavy favorite to come out of it again in terms of like a preseason, you know, at least going into the offseason standpoint. We'll, we'll see if things get really shaken up. But that gives them an incredible leg up on even some of these other teams, you know, whether you like the Bucks or whether you like the Celtics to get back, whether you like whatever it is the Heat might do in terms of making their roster better, those teams are going to have to clobber it out amongst themselves. And I think the Nuggets have separated themselves as being a pretty significant cut above even these other Western Conference teams that we thought were really good. And so they are a team that if not, I, I don't know that I can expect them to just stack title on title on title. What the Warriors did was pretty unique but they are in a position to get back to the finals for some repeat appearances. And we'll see how they stack up with the best teams that come out of the East in that time. But I, that's kind of where I am with them. Is there a team that until shown otherwise, 
they've proven that they can get there. They've proven that they have the offense and the defense to get there, to get the stops, that they have the depth, that they have everything that they need in terms of the star power. Now it's up to the West to kind of show that anyone can challenge them in that capacity. And that's that's kind of the mission of this offseason in a lot of ways is which of these teams that's kind of close, that's has dreams of contention, is really within range of the Nuggets right now. Yeah, I think the Nuggets are... I think Golden State is a good comparison for the Nuggets, excuse me, for the simple fact that I don't see why the Nuggets can't win two titles in the next seven years, right? Um, and the reason why I say Golden State is like that because if they didn't get KD, they wouldn't have won those two straight titles and basically should have, barring extremely terrible injury luck, won three straight titles and kicked everybody's asses up and down the court in between us. I think barring the KD move, they would have been right there um, in the contention and title race every single year. But, you know, things might not have break or they might have broken for them in certain years. And they probably could have gotten a title out of um, that KD stretch, even, you know, without getting KD. So I think for the next six or seven years, to me, they'll be in the mix. And that's because they have Nikola Jokic. Um, and I don't see why what he's doing and the consistent dominance that he's going to provide offensively will be able to be adjusted to. Nobody thinks Steph Curry's been adjusted to. I think the quality and execution of his teammates have sort of ebbed and flowed a little bit. And there's been that consistency of Draymond's excellence in the postseason anyway, but what he does on defense. Um, but, you know, nobody said, oh, Steph just... He just hasn't been as dominant as he was in the 73 win year. I'm like, I don't know shit. Last year, he looked every bit as dominant. You Pretty know? freaking good. And these were years apart. So, yeah, to me, I, I do think they have the ability to be in the mix of title contention, conference finals, all of that, taking teams to the brink, all of that stuff for the next six, seven years. Um, and there's no reason to doubt that. Now, the, the, there, there's only a few reasons to doubt that. I think we think about Murray... Um, killing this postseason, becoming a bona fide star and all of that. But he had a pretty major injury. And, like, he came into the NBA with some knee issues starting, right? Then he finally blew out his knee or whatever, and he got it repaired, and he's he looked incredible during the playoffs. But you can't take his, his um, health for granted and definitely, truly cannot take Michael Porter Jr.'s health for granted. So I think those things, those caveats aside... Man, yeah, I don't see why the Nuggets can't be at the forefront of championship conversations going forward. Yeah, I, I'm not sure how many vertebrae Porter has left, but right. I would say if he is reasonably healthy, they are built to last for, for a little while here, if only because they have those three guys under contract. And the trade, the very bizarre mid-finals pre-game four trade for more recent draft or upcoming draft picks as opposed to the 2029 one that they sent to the Thunder was almost an indication that like, yeah, we have a little bit of a window here. It might get pretty difficult, maybe two to three to four years out in this new CBA. But like if we just cycle through rotation guys around them, if we get the seven or eight deep, whatever you want to say they were in this postseason, they can be in the mix here. I do think what's going to be interesting is next year, if only because we talked about this on the weekend show we did a couple of days ago. I do think there were a couple teams as we laid out on that show, just like worse off as opposed to some of the star trades than we expected. And so the, the West in particular, what was weaker than it had been 
And I think it's almost a disservice to the Nuggets that they ultimately didn't play one of those other teams that we thought that they were going to play, like a Bucks or a Celtics or even the Sixers, because I think it gives credence to this idea that they didn't beat anyone. Like, I think this, I, I think that like, you could look at who they went up against this postseason. It's like they have to play who they went through. But the fact that they didn't beat the Celtics in the finals, I think there's at least a little bit of a shred of doubt that they didn't go up against like even a five-out team that could have pushed them farther. Because if they had done that, I don't even know if they would have lost necessarily. It would have just cleared the deck to where like they had answered every question. And I think that lingering question is at the very least going to give fuel to the fire of like, well, what about X? There's always sure. going to be a what about X. But sure, Rob, beat, I'll let you go first. I'll let you go first. They beat the teams that beat those teams. Yeah. But that's not the same thing as saying that they beat the type of but matchup let me, but let that me ask, could have let given me, them let me, the most Let problems. me ask the question a different way. Do you think the Celtics would have had an easier time with the Nuggets than the Heat? I think the Celtics were... Like, I think the Celtics, hold on, hold on. I think the Celtics were a better, a worse matchup for the Nuggets than the Heat were. Ultimately. But that's not especially, what I asked. Especially, you. what did you ask? I think yes. I think the Celtics match up better with the Nuggets than the Heat do. I'm talking about spe- specific to the Celtics. Do we think the Celtics would have had an easier time with the Nuggets than they did the Heat? That makes no sense to me. I don't think the Heat match up better against the Celtics than the Nuggets do conversely. Yeah. Nobody thinks that. <laughs> like nobody would like let's just say the Heat let's yeah. just let's just put it in reverse. Let's just say the Celtics were already in the finals and the Nuggets and the Heat were duking it out in the conference finals. Nobody would have said the better matchup for them is the Denver Nuggets. Not a single soul in Nobody would say that. Yeah, I don't. I don't totally understand. So I'm just saying, put the Celtics in the Nuggets position, meaning they were waiting in the conference finals, right? Sure. And the Heat and the the Nuggets are playing, and those are the two opponents that are waiting for the Celtics. The way it was for the Nuggets, nobody. Uh, Nobody's analysis would have been like, yeah, the Celtics would definitely rather face the Nuggets than the Heat. Oh yeah, no. I I I'm not even bringing this up to necessarily say the the Nuggets wouldn't have beat the Celtics. I'm they just saying the Celtics they would have the types, for the record. The type <laughs> of team that the Celtics are is a worse matchup for the Nuggets. Like we didn't see a five-out team sure. being able to stretch Jokic out. I would have loved to see that. And I sure. I do think what I'm basically saying is like that gives just like one shred of doubt, especially if, as you roll into a next season. And like let's say the Suns somehow come up with like the perfect five-out team. They they finally get like five capable players like what happens then? And so going forward, I think that's the bigger question. You guys immediately jumped on this idea that like the Nuggets no. are, are Cause, being cause my discredited. Because my thing is, if if you can't beat the Heat, you can't beat the Nuggets. <laughs> Let me tell I'm you. sorry. You, you really can't. Straight you up really and can't. down. You can't, if you cannot beat the Miami Heat over the course of a seven-game series, you will not, you cannot beat the Nuggets. Can I push back? On that, just briefly, I do think what led to the Heat winning was it was a little bit more just like um, like more about like emotional character stuff where it's like they were built for a playoff situation in the way that the Bucs and the Celtics were not. Like as soon as they hit adversity, the Heat thrive, whereas the Celtics and the Bucs do not. Now, would that come to bear against the Nuggets? Maybe, probably. 
that's but, kind of the thing to me is like I think a lot of people going into this postseason, you know, they were looking at Jamal's health situation, wondering if he was going to what he was going to be over the course of a long playoff run. They were thinking about this team in terms of, oh, this is a team that's been eliminated from the playoffs a couple of times when those rosters were shorthanded because Murray or Porter was out. The reality is when you look back at the playoff record, Jokic and Murray have been absolute badasses every time they've been in the postseason. They have had the kind of like mental toughness that the Celtics showed they did not, right? The yeah. kind of focus, the kind of discipline. Yes, they make mistakes, but they've been huge in big moments. They have executed against high-level teams. They have shown they can eviscerate a team with LeBron James on it. You know, a team, a team with LeBron and AD, a team with KD and Devin Booker. Like, I don't know that the pedigree gets that much better than that. And especially when you think, of, I think the conversation with the Celtics, we get very Celtics pilled into the idea of what they are as a matchup and not what they are as a reality on the court. The reality of what the Celtics are is a team that does not categorically does not always have its shit together. And you expect that team to bring down the juggernaut we just saw roll through the West and dismantle juggernaut. the heat. <laughs> look, look at the num like look at the numbers, look at the margins, look at the See, loss total for this run. This this is where things just get out of control where I do feel like the hyperbole is getting so thick where we we take the results and we are just completely ignoring the context mm -hmm. of, of what happened. Like I don't think we, we are. The the West was very bad this year. See, I hate always being in this position of being like the Nuggets hater, but you guys are just like no, so no, on go, one go, end go of an extreme. Go with your points. Yeah. The, the, and, the East, like, and the East was very bad this year too. Like, I wish I had clipped and saved all of like all the type of things people are just rolling out there about like, this is like the start of the historic Nuggets run. This is one of the best of all time, <laughs> yada, yada. Like, are we just not even just going to, like, are we going to ignore the well, fact that like they played the Timberwolves in the first round. The Suns had two good players and could barely mm -hmm. even put together a third. Mm -hmm. And that like the Lakers were having to rely on a 38-year-old LeBron James. It's like I don't want to take anything away from the Nuggets. I think they are a very good team. They will be in this mix going forward. But to suggest that like this is some sort of like Warriors like redox or something like that is just ridiculous. Like the Warriors I, beat the Cavs who are also one of the, the best teams of all time with LeBron James, like in the prime okay. of his fucking career. Okay. So what happened I, but, in that but, first, what happened in that first Warriors run though? The first title, what happened when they got to the finals? I, I don't understand your point. Ke Kevin Love out, Kyrie Irving out. Like this is what championship runs look like is sometimes mm. guys are injured. Sometimes guys are old. You don't pick who you play. Yes, you just exactly. All the Nuggets did was show up to every series and roll over everybody. I don't know what to call that if not a juggernaut. My my thing about the four, the 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 like, oh, the 16 and 4 is a mirage. They lost four games in the playoffs. The Bucks lost four games to the Heat. This, so, like, if you want to call the West weak, cool. Was the East strong? I don't no, understand just, this. I like what, what was the it was East just, then? It was it was weird, unfortunately, where that you had a, t a couple of regular season, let's call them juggernauts because the Celtics and the Bucks were the best teams record wise, just happened to have this very strange fatal flaw where some like someone as mentally tough as Jimmy could just 
get into their heads and absolutely obliterate them. And so, yeah, is that bad, but just in a different sense? Certainly. But I also think like one thing we should bring up is that like Jimmy was kind of a shell of himself by the time he got to the finals, like going to seven against the Celtics seemed to sap him of whatever just like magic that he should have won in four like the homies did against the Lakers. I mean, that would have been nice, right? Winning it four or perhaps six or five. I mean, (laughs) so here's another thing about this toughness that is only unique to the heat that somehow Somehow the Nuggets don't possess for coming through in every single fucking fourth quarter of every single series that they played. I was reading my man, Seth Partnow, shouts to him, friend of the show. Um, And he was talking about the offensive rating on made baskets against the Heat in the playoffs. Every other team they played combined had like a 95 Offensive rating in the fourth quarter after Heat made baskets. Essentially, just a suggestion that teams were kind of getting rattled by like what Miami would do in the fourth, coming back from all these double digits, blah, 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 blah. You know what Denver's was in the fourth after made baskets? 120. One fucking 20 against the same freaking team that made all these dudes whimper and quake in their presence. And now I'm supposed to believe there's like, ah, yeah. Those teams that stunk it up, that shit the bed, <laughs> ah, they would have been so good. Jimmy was so bad in game five that he would get past Jamal Murray and then all of a sudden act like he was in high school basketball where he just didn't know where to throw the ball and he couldn't even draw a foul against Nikola Jokic. And I think what I think that this is the issue. In, in microcosm, where people will be like, Nikola Jokic, actually underrated defender who's one of the best defenders in the world. And you know what? He plays better <laughs> defense in the playoffs. But we've seen Jimmy Butler before. We've seen him yes. in the playoffs. We've seen him go up against Nikola Jokic. That was not prime Jimmy Butler. And so, like, all I'm doing is saying, like, can we acknowledge the caveats rather than just, uh, like, feed into this myth that the fucking Nuggets are unbeatable juggernauts with Hakeem Olajuwon? In the paint, guarding I, guarding I'll the rim, say, like look, come on, I'll no say, no I'll one is no one is saying they're an unbeatable juggernaut. No, they're they're not saying juggernaut. Is, they they are not the they KD, are juggernaut. They are juggernaut. They are no, not, not the KD warriors. No, they are not that. No, you'd okay. be insane to say that. And the things that I will say is that nobody came into this season constructed their roster saying to themselves, "We have to beat the Nuggets," right? And I think they were beneficiaries of that truth. That nobody built a roster dedicated, put their minds together to being like, what are the Nuggets' weaknesses? How can we build a roster that best exploits them? Or how do we accentuate strengths that we already possess that will be better to beat the Nuggets? That did not happen this season in the way that we saw it happen for the Warriors, the way we saw it happen for the Heatles, the way we saw it happen for other juggernauts. I have no doubt in my mind that that's true and that the Nuggets run is a beneficiary of that. However, they're going to kick people's asses next year again and they're going to be damn hard to get out of the playoffs. And it would be, I'd be shocked if they didn't make it to the conference finals again. And like, I would be shocked if they, like barring injury, that they weren't competing in the postseason again and everybody's saying the same shit. Like, God damn, the Nuggets are really freaking good. I just, especially with the Jimmy Butler argument, or the idea, you could look at anyone over the course of the Nuggets run, anyone they played against, and say, oh, that wasn't the best version of Kevin Durant, of LeBron James, of Jimmy Butler. I think, there, I think there's truth to it. I think in a lot of those cases, it's 
you know what? There's just a difference between putting 6'4 Drew Holiday on Jimmy Butler and 6'9 Aaron Gordon on Jimmy Butler, where he's not going to bite on, he's not going to bite on pump fakes. He's going to have a hand in his face every time. And all of a sudden, Jimmy's getting into the paint and he looks a little shook, to your point. He looks like he doesn't quite know what to do. I think the Nuggets had a lot more to do with that than you do, Justin. And I, I credit, you know, obviously there's the ankle injury. Obviously, there's him running out of steam by the end of a long run where Jimmy Butler had to do a lot to get the heat to this point. Nicole Jokic had to do a lot to get the Nuggets to the finals, too. And in every finals game, that dude is durable as hell. Underrated thing about Jokic, very rarely gets injured. Honestly, plays a lot of games, plays heavy minutes, huge workload, was absolutely relentless and just solved everything. And and I want to say one last thing towards them. We could move on to the next thing. Specific to the Celtics and Bucks, who I've watched a lot over the last three, four years. At the end of close games, the Nuggets run their two men with Jokic and Murray that even you, Justin, can admit is fucking hard to stop. It's hard to beat. It's hard to stop. What the fuck do the Celtics run when they're in trouble? What the fuck do the Bucks run when they're in trouble? Nonsense. That's why they get beat all the time. That's why they're always embarrassing themselves all the time. That's why I'm like, I don't want to hear about those specific teams. If you want to say the Suns, that's a little bit something different. Because there's a certain level, specifically on offense, that Phoenix, um, between Devin Booker and KD, where I'm like, you know what? I could see those guys getting to a level of offensive execution, reliability, unflappability in big spots. I could see them potentially hitting that level in a series against the Nuggets. The Celtics and the Bucks have never displayed that. Ever. Never? In big moments. In big never. moments that they got, they have an offense that is consistent. That you consistently feel like what they're doing out there on offense is something they can go to over and over again? Hell no. Come on. Bucks won a title. <laughs> we were probably having this exact conversation about the Bucks, in which like people were just like, oh man, the Bucks. Yeah, yeah. I, I'll say this. No, I, I, I find what's happened to the Bucks post-title to be alarming. Like, I I think that's like giving me more pause to want to anoint the Nuggets or any team as like the next X, Y, Z. And I would like to just like, I, I, I told myself we weren't going to have this conversation, but you guys, I want to say you guys baited me into this. Um, oh yeah. I have it right here on the document. General Nuggets yay talk during which I will try as much as humanly possible not to say anything negative. You know what else you it's have right on the there. doc? Is, FML. Uh, <laughs> all, all, <laughs> the doc literally says FML. And, and further down, Justin has also written, will people stop shadow boxing straw men suggesting that Nikola Jokic and the Nuggets are hated and or disrespected? And yet, no, no, me and Waz are out here, jab, 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 uppercut. Like, if, I'm, I don't know what to say. I would like to just, just settle this by circling back to my original point. I am not saying that the Nuggets wouldn't beat the 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 Celtics or the Bucks. All I'm saying okay. is it would have been nice had they played them in the final because that would have removed any shred of doubt from what we saw in the finals. That's all. I, I just don't have really have I don't really have a shred of doubt, but let's let's okay. keep it moving. Let's let's go to Jokic now. Um, let let's completely flip the script here because the one thing I am noticing already happening with our friend Jokic is that there's already a rush to one. Uh, just concern troll about why he isn't a bigger star and two simultaneously nothing but videos about 
his weirdo comments about not wanting to go to a parade or just like smash cuts of like him basically not wanting to engage in celebrity or even press conference questions at all. And so what I'm wondering, is this the start of the next pop Marshawn Lynch sort of thing where Jokic quickly becomes I like the cross like, racial there, by the way, Jess. Thank you. I did that for you. Um, are we going to get into a situation where Jokic is so much of a not star that people yeah. find it so endearing that he is actually going to be a star despite his better wishes? Like an anti-celebrity, effectively. Right. He is the next anti-hero. He is basically justified. We're going to get him a hat. I think there is some of that. I think people are charmed by how little he cares about some of the trappings of NBA life. I don't. I think there's a, obviously a ceiling on like how widely public you can be right like even even guys like Giannis who I think are especially to a certain point in his career Giannis was pretty guarded with the media did not really engage in a lot of interviews even in press conferences didn't really do much and then all of a sudden there was kind of this turning point where he considered himself as like more of a spokesperson and a leader for the team in that particular capacity and there's reasons like why he thought that was appropriate or necessary or not Jokic does not see that as part of his job. And that's part of the reason why, you know, Jamal Murray can be vocal. The veterans on the team can be vocal. Michael Malone, I think, carries a lot of that in terms of like as a very vocal coach who's willing to explain and over explain lots of different things. But look, you're not going to be a household name necessarily, no matter how great a player you are. If you're Nikola Jokic and you continue to like play to your personality in terms of what you want your day to day life to be like, and that's okay. It just is going to change how we think about him as a star. And honestly, my favorite moments in all the playoffs and all the finals and, and all the media kind of part of that, there were times where Jokic on the press conference stage almost like tricked himself into giving like very good, deep, thoughtful, deconstructive answers. Like when people, you know, he gets asked over and over about his stat lines, about the level of production that he had in the game, these unprecedented numbers he puts up. He says he doesn't care about it. I, I genuinely believe that. I, I don't think it really matters to him, like the specifics of those numbers. But there were times where in answering the questions about that, he would start to explain like some of the cultural differences in terms of like how you know players in Europe think about the box score and like what they value and how they approach the game. Talking about like the modern NBA specifically and almost the like Instagramification or like social media posting, like here's like points, rebounds, assists, like this, this kind of very quick encapsulation of what a player is. And then it's almost like he would realize he's engaging with the idea rather than giving the reporters what they want, which is an interchangeable quote to just like plug into their story right after they rattle off his stat line. It's just it's he doesn't want to participate in that conversation in terms of like, I'm going to you know do this post game thing to give you guys filler for what you're trying to do to do your jobs. And that's a little inconvenient for us in the media sometimes. But honestly, I respect it. Like I. And and maybe that's feeding into your point, Justin. Maybe maybe I'm only going to have more and more begrudging respect for the fact that Nikola Jokic doesn't want to answer our questions, doesn't really want to like be party to that. And who could blame him if he's going to show up and play like this? I don't think there's really anything to take away from it. So I'm of a, a bit of a different mind of um, than Rob on this. I think the media needs to be better about thinking about what makes this guy interesting, fun no than question. his game. We need to be smarter about making this guy more interesting and fun. However, well, what would that look like? I don't I know. So, like, for instance, like Giannis, what I think is interesting about Giannis is that one, he's been an immigrant twice. Yeah. 
Um, and two, he's a black guy. Three, the freaking NBA is a quote unquote a black league, but he's an outsider even within that culture. I think there's ways to talk about Giannis that are way more interesting than this. Like I talk to Nigerian people all the time. They feel like he doesn't rep enough. I don't, I think people have kind of calmed down on that shit, which I thought was bullshit from the start. But just the idea that this black guy's nickname is the Greek freak and all of that. I think there are there are interesting things about Giannis that we could do all over the place, whatever. Um but I think with Jokic, he needs to be more participatory. I really, truly feel that way. Because I think the whole fucking act of Pop and that crew in San Antonio and what they did, ultimately is bad for business. It's That's bad. Yeah. It's bad for the players and the coaches and the league because they don't make as much money when the, one of the best teams nobody gives a shit about. Okay, so it's bad for them on the business side. It's bad for us as media. It's easy to say that. Nobody wants to read your fucking Spurs stories or listen to your Spurs podcast because these dudes are wholly uninterested. So we can Until talk about week. how self yeah. we can be <laughs> self-interested in that. Like it's bad for media and it's bad for the fans. The fans so, should want to care about well, these things. And so I think Jokic needs to look, not everybody's gonna be LeBron. <laughs> that dude is is uncommonly adept at engaging these media stories, narratives, tropes, all of that stuff. But you got to do more than what Jokic is doing. If you're going to be the best player in the league, you're going to be on one of the marquee teams, allegedly, in the league. You have to do more. I'm not saying he got to be LeBron, though. It's an interesting contrast between, you know, he's a guy who's a very unselfish player, a very unselfish teammate. But in this way, what he's doing is yes. focused on self. It's, yes. I don't really want to do this. It's not something that I get a lot of joy out of. It's an inconvenience to me. And personally speaking, I'm if, if you told Jokic, you never have to do media again, but as a result, the league is, a you know, the, the revenue of the league comes down a little bit. The BRI comes down a little bit. Your $270 million contract is now a $200 million contract. Is that okay with you? Honestly, I think it might be like, <laughs> yeah, but that's not the framing. The the, the the framing is Ish Smith's deal is now going to be 250,000, bro. Absolutely. Are you cool like, with that? This is where like the collective, like you are all pouring into not just the basketball brotherhood, but the shared responsibility to make the NBA bigger than just like a bunch of players playing basketball, right? You are ambassadors, you are spokespeople, you are representatives of the league at a certain level. And I think responsible for its its maintenance and its growth. Yeah, so I want to get back to the Giannis thing. I, I definitely think that some of the topics that you're bringing up was part of it is maybe it's just like we have a largely white media like base and they aren't capable of telling those stories. I, I definitely think there's a lot of truth to that. I also think part of it though is that's a very specific and uh, like, uh, type of story you need to be very meticulous and considerate about. And it's not the type of story that Giannis is going to want to retell over and over again and go through mm. that over and over. It's kind of the type of thing where he gets it out all at once. And I think he's done this before in part on a, like a Woj did like a whole podcast series about it. And it's not well, the type also, of thing that also shout out Mir and Fader's book who dives into Absolutely. all of this immigrant story specifically in detail, all layers of it. And I think she did an incredible job with it. Sure. I, th I think it's the type of thing that matters, but I don't know how many times you can keep circling back to it. I think it's more about like giving us content on a day-to-day -day basis. And I almost wonder if Jokic being like a weirdo, acerbic, and like just like not wanting to engage in that, that's actually the type of thing that could feed the content machine in a way 
that I don't know I if sure like, even so. a Giannis can. I also think a big part of this is like Jokic hasn't been on a final stage until just now. And I do think if you want to fall back on the mom test, for instance, Jokic is just getting to that point where like a large segment of like even sports adjacent people are are getting clued into him. And like, so I, I want to circle back to like Dan Lebertard. I mentioned this on last week's podcast that like he mentioned like, oh, people hate Jokic, yada, yada. I'm like, I don't think a large enough amount of people actually know enough about Jokic because they haven't been exposed to him to that point. Like Larry Bird, for instance, which is like a lot of people are using Bird as a comp at this point in his career had been to the finals five times and had won three. And I think had been to the conference finals pretty much every other time. Like it's about exposure partly. And like, if you Dude, really want to dig into it, Justin, I do think part of this is Justin, like before LeBron, he got on, to the NBA, go ahead. But Larry Bird had already played in the what's still the most watched basketball <laughs> game ever yeah. before exactly. he even got to the league. I think part of this is like we have leaned so much on LeBron for so long. And LeBron has been in the finals for so long. Guys haven't yeah. even had the opportunity to carve out space in the zeitgeist for people that aren't just like hardcore weirdos like us that do this every day. Like, I, I do think like if Jokic starts to win, I think that alone will help him in whatever like face of the league conversation that we're talking about. Well, I think the face of the league conversation Look, when we think about what the post-LeBron NBA is going to look like, in basketball terms, I think we're in we're in great hands. There's incredibly talented players. There's an yeah. incredibly diverse like style of play throughout the league from team to team. Guys like Jokic, but you also, you know, you still have your Steph Curry's, you have your Luka Doncic's, you have your Jason Tatum's. You have so like great variety of basketball play. But there's no one on that ambassadorial level who's willing to entertain political questions, you know, even if he means stepping in at sometimes, who's willing to kind of take on that responsibility that LeBron did. And maybe it's not reasonable to expect anyone, any one person nah. to do that. I think LeBron is a singular <laughs> personality in that way. But Jokic certainly has no interest in doing it. I think that's fine. But there are costs to that. Well, can I ask a we, question? We're not, not going to ask Jokic about BLM, man. We just can't do it. <laughs> we just can't do it. No. Well, how much does that matter, though? Like, like, look at, like, for instance, at Tom Brady. Is Tom Brady all that interesting a person? No, if anything, no. he's a fucking, like, batshit insane person who just happens to, like, conceal who he really is because he wouldn't want to get that out. He's more like Tom Cruise than, than I, anyone. I, he just won a lot. Just loves I, the movies. I, I think, I think <laughs> one, it's not enough for the NBA and media machine to be participating, honestly. Uh, obviously, Michael Jordan is the most extreme version of this. But as I'm coming up watching Hoop, of course, NBA, NBC is propagandizing me about Mike, but so is Gatorade. So is Nike. So is Hanes. So is McDonald's. So, like, everybody's invested in the propagandizing of the public when it comes to these sports figures. I don't know that the media machine and the brand machines work that way to sort of help the NBA and help us in media um, tell these guys stories and and sort of feed the machine. I hope we can, uh, but I do look, man. I, I I used to I used to kind of chuckle at you know reporters getting quote unquote popped by Popovich, and then you know I kind of grew up and realized that shit is immature, unprofessional, and ridiculous, yeah. and it's hurting our game. And I really don't. I really think guys need to take more ownership in their responsibility and just like. 
And Chuck says it all the time. Like, this dude did everything. He talked to everybody. He understood that he was part of a larger project. And it wasn't just about it wasn't just about him. And the reason why guys like LeBron and Nicola could come in and get $200, $200 million deals is because of the work that was done before them. You know, like the reason why these rights deals are what they are and the reason why you can go out and get a Nike check and do all these other things is because of what guys did before you. Without and a so, doubt. yeah, I, I, I do think I, as much as I love Jokic and what he's about as a teammate, as an employee, all of that stuff, I think he needs to step up. Obviously, he's not going to do this shit overnight. He's not going to become some incredible spokesperson, right? Like, just think about like, immigrant people who became very famous in America, like Jackie Chan. He ain't gonna be Jackie Chan tomorrow. That'd be ridiculous, right? But I think he should be working towards something like that for sure. Should we take yeah. our role as potential propagandists more seriously? Should we come out like first 10 minutes of every pod, just like Nikola Jokic was out here like chopping down trees with one arm, throwing logs over his shoulder, some real Paul Bunyan shit? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think that's been the podcast for the past four months with you guys. What the fuck are you talking about? I, I would say that's just facts, Justin. And, and but... honestly, but honestly, you know the real problem is that we can't like you know, get xenophobic and, and, and like, oh boy. you not. know, tie him to the Soviets. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, if, if we could do that, the Americans would get behind it. Or they would get behind it right away. They'd be like, fuck those foreigners. Fuck them. That would be uh. so easy to rally the American people behind. Man, don't you miss the Cold War, guys? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just seeing Waz out here really pulling the puppet strings of the American people. He, he knows what levers to pull. Uh, I will say I know what uh, they want. Based on the data, playoffs, viewership was up, finals was down. I really could not care less. Like, but I think it's instructive. I, I do think like the fact that the earlier rounds of the playoffs were so good, I think is encouraging going forward. And if the Nuggets become the dominant team of a like like a, a competitive league more so than like just warriors calves every year. I think, I think that would be probably the best for, I, I still believe in like the, the, the results often dictate a lot of what we're talking about. And then it's all about like celebrity shit that no one understands. And if anything, it's like all going to TikTok, Facts. and literally none of us know anything about that. Yeah, except for TikTok, Jokic. Yeah. I think ultimately if Jokic turns out to be like the, this generation's Tim Duncan, that's still a pretty chill outcome. You know, if he's going to be a great player all the time, yes, there will be trade-offs, but, I'm, I mean, I'm certainly going to enjoy watching it. I think Denver fans are certainly going to reap but, the rewards of that. But just like, could you imagine what it would have been like watching the Spurs if Tim Duncan were more like KG? Yeah. That would have been incredible, you know? But, yep. you know. I well, think the hope, I, is that it, the hope is that Embiid is that guy, right? Like, a you know, more outward-facing personality. We'll see if he delivers like some of these other all-time greats do. Well, I think he's the counter where he just hasn't won enough, and thus people no, have kind of tuned him not. out as things have gone on. Okay, let's uh, let's move along here because uh, we're, we're like 50 minutes into this pod. <laughs> Good Lord. It took so long debating whether the, the Nuggets would have maybe lost to the Celtics, even though that wasn't the question I asked. Um, all right, let's talk about Murray and his place in here because I think it's interesting. Uh, we do this top 125 player rankings. Rob is a big part of this. Uh, and in our last edition, the, the last one for this season, Murray starts at 47, coming off an injury, you really need yeah. to prove a lot that's, coming into that's the That's the beginning of our ranking, to be clear, like not our previous update. Yeah, yeah, yeah. J January. Yeah. He is now number 16 
vaulting past all sorts of guys, Darren Fox, et cetera, et cetera, James Harden, so on. Um, that seems a little high for me. Yeah. You know, I definitely think he's in that probably range, but that seems high. Um, where's Murray now, Rob? And since you participated in this ranking, like, are you like he is clear cut all M- future all NBA, future all star, all the stuff that like he was just on the verge of this guy's got it? Or is he slightly below that? I, th- I would be shocked if he's not an all star next season. I think he's going to be in the all NBA running provided he you know hits the games play threshold and stuff like that. He isn't perfect as a player, but I think relative to the, even these other stars, he does a lot of the things and has a lot of the kind of in- intangible qualities that you want star guards to have. He's awesome in tough situations. He doesn't turn the ball over very much, wildly productive in the playoffs, and makes the best players on his team better. And I think one of the reasons he ended up where he did, and he kind of he hit his ceiling for me at 16. Any more than that, I think we're maybe getting a little ahead of ourselves. But number 15 on our list is Donovan Mitchell. And that was a debate point for, for us, especially me and Michael Pino. We're going, going back and forth on this at the finals. But how you compare those guys, you know, on, on one hand, Murray, who has shown up every playoff run, who only gets better and better in the playoffs. Mitchell, who has had great playoff moments, but overall has kind of shown what his limitations can be. I think where it gets tough is like it's it's very hard to separate Murray, who is an awesome player, in terms of like understanding what his neutral value is when he plays along Nikola Jokic all the time. And it's hard to know what he would be in a situation like Mitchell's. My ultimate thought is that if you flip their positions, Murray would probably do worse running something like the Cavs offense than Mitchell did. And I think Mitchell wouldn't be as perfect alongside Jokic as Murray is, but he would still be pretty great. But I think the fact that you can have that conversation out is is proof of the class that Murray has ascended to. Is is we are, we are now talking about him with guys like Donovan, with guys like John Morant, with guys like De'Aaron mm-hmm. Fox, guards who you know have sensational play, sensational moments, have been able to carry teams to to really good records and really good effect. Jamal Murray feels like that kind of player to me. I mean, Waz, where are you on Murray after after this long run? So. I, but people people have been bringing up the he hasn't made any all stars. You can look it up. He's never deserved to be on an all star team. It's just never been the case. When all star votes get tabulated, at no point in his career was he in Jan- late January as good as the guys that got picked ahead of him, resume wise. Another thing that I will say, I've never seen him be as consistently individually brilliant as Mitchell and Morant. True. Okay? Those are true things. I do not know that within the team concept, either one of those two dudes are better than Jamal Murray. I don't know that that's necessarily the case. They possess individual brilliance that would suggest that they have more talent than this dude. And, you know, if you if they played basketball in a va- vacuum where it was just like, go ahead and beat that dude that's right in front of you, I would probably give the edge to Mitchell and Morant. But in the five-man concept, these dudes do not play better than him. They have not, they, ha- I shouldn't say this. They have not played better than him in the biggest games of their lives. Right. Like when you consider the biggest games Murray's ever been in to the biggest games Morant and Mitchell have been in, he's been better than them. I I don't, you know, at the same time, I've never, ever seen Mitchell go four games in a row with 10 assists. That's never 
in the history of his life happened. Certainly not in the NBA Finals. He's he's still a tunnel vision kind of player. I've completely soured on Mitchell, honestly. Like, I went from thinking that he was, like, nipping on the edges of the Lucas and the Stephs and sort of obviously not in that class of the Dames and all of that, but nipping on the edges to just, like, I, I don't know... If he, if you can rely upon him to be your best offensive player and actually accomplish great things, I don't know. I think ultimately, I probably side with you guys. Like he's a little bit underneath Mitchell in overall talent. He he has a, a sort of lower floor than Mitchell does, um, can, and I think a lot of his success is based on what Jokic is doing. I really do. Can we go through an exercise that we tend to do in order to figure out these rankings, sure. which is to compare two like players? Um, Jamal Murray or Shea Gildas Alexander? Shea. Shea. Shea's way bigger than him. I would agree. Uh, Jamal Murray or Donovan Mitchell? I think it depends on what kind of team you have ultimately, but in a, in a neutral, across-the-board context, I still take Mitchell slightly. And Mitchell and the Nuggets, I guess he wouldn't be asked to pass to anybody, so except for the, <laughs> the easiest read. Yeah, maybe. I, yeah, I'd probably take Mitchell. Yeah. Sure. I think I would agree. Barely. Yeah. Uh, Devin Booker? Yes. Or Murray? Yes. Yes. Yeah, I think I, I, Devin I think Devin Booker's like, <laughs> like he's on the Steph Dame level when he's on his shit. Like, for me, from what I've seen, you know, the last two months, I'm like, damn, I'm I'm on the Booker train right now. So, yeah. I agree. Uh, and I think Fox. Fox is, is the interesting kind of demarcation point, at least for me. Fox is I'm, really good, but I, I'm taking Jamal Murray, man. Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm taking Jamal Murray between yeah. Bubble Murray and 2023 Murray. Like I, I that's think that's thing. an easy call for me, playoff wise. This overall playoff run, Jamal Murray, 26 points, six rebounds, seven assists, 47, 40, 93 splits. Like that's big. That's big time stuff. And you know, even comparing him to other stars and all stars, like there's a lot of guys who just could not do that over the course of four rounds. What about Morant? Morant or Murray? I mean, <laughs> I know who I'd feel more comfortable betting the future of my franchise around. Yes, but I don't think you could make I don't think you could make Murray the focal point of an offense, the offense no. in Memphis, the way you have I Morant. I think Morant's just he's a better individual. He's better. That one I don't know. I think for one, I think Jamal, for all his flaws, is a better defender than John Morant. He tries I think way he harder. I think he accentuates what other players do more effectively than Ja does sometimes. I think they're, look, ultimately, Ja's a sensational player, can carry a lot on his shoulders, but he bumps up into a pretty hard playoff ceiling right now in terms of what a Ja Morant offense can be. And I think the same would be true of a Jamal Murray offense, but the difference is Jamal has that, like, Paul George quality where what he ultimately might be is, like, one of the best second guys in the NBA. And I don't know that Ja will ever have the skill set or game where he's comfortable and productive doing that. Yeah, I just think when Ja's on the floor, though, defenses change who they are and what they want to do. They He bends the defense to his will, Very you true. know, in a way that Jamal Murray just would not do outside of a Nikola Jokic context. Like, that's not a thing that would happen. So, so I'm, I'm afraid... Ja to- over Murray. I am. Okay. Yeah, I think it's an interesting debate. I'm going to ask this one because I don't run away from from the fire. Oh, dear. Uh, it's Jalen Brown or Jamal Murray. 
I'm taking Jamal Murray. Wow. I think if you had told me in a vacuum, like who you want nah, starting I'm your team. Jaylen, I'm taking Jalen Brown. I, yeah, I, I got to take, take Jalen Brown. Brown. If only because of the he's, defensive he's six, potential. Six, six, he's six, seven. I can't. I, I can't. I can't pass up on these huge, these bigger I, guys. I Doesn't get have it. to dribble as much next to Jokic. Yeah, you do. You still have to dribble. Like, you still are running dribble handoffs. <laughs> no, you do. You do no, have no, to no. dribble. You do have to. One you dribble. Do two, I'll maybe. Sa- I'll say this. <laughs> Jamal Murray would not have gone down like Jalen Brown did. Yeah. Would not have gone down like that. Yeah. And that means something to me. Like, I think there, there is obviously an incredible value in the size and the strength and the switchability and the shooting that Jalen can give you when he's at his best. But... I don't know. Like Jamal Murray is a galvanizing player and an incredible shot maker in a way that Jalen Brown right now is just not. Also, you wonder what Jalen Brown could be if he dedicated himself to being a specific kind of teammate. Yeah, I think like that's the thing that kind of separates people a lot of times. You know, they always say we want to get young guys in the playoffs. It's like, yeah, he can go into the offseason and dedicate himself to being a specific kind of playoff performer. Whereas a young guy who's never been, he doesn't even know what his deficiencies in the playoffs are going to be. He doesn't even know when he's going to get picked on four possessions in a row by the opposition for. Like, he doesn't know. So I wonder if Jalen Brown was like, I got to dedicate to be to being the best teammate that Nikola Jokic could have, what he could be. Who knows, right? Oh, um, yeah. I just love but a 6 would, eight, he, eight would guy. he ever do that? Like, they're an interesting yeah. comp because Tatum and Brown are legitimately one of the old other pairings that's been together even remotely as long together as offense i mean look there were some interesting stats floating around during the finals about the number of times that Jokic and murray assist one another versus the number of times that guys like for example tatum and brown do and some of that is positional some of the fact that they don't run as many like direct pick and roll handoff type actions there's a lot of reasons why that is true but what's inarguable is that murray and Jokic complement each other in ways that tatum and brown do not and I think some of that is position, and some of that is the fact that they're they've give, been given time, and they've shown the interest to grow in ways that complement each other. And I think that's to, to Jamal Murray's incredible credit. He's never been a guy who's like, I'm going to demand ball in my hands, spread offense. I'm going to run pick and roll, and I'm going to decide everything. He's been willing to give it up. He's been willing to play a role that other star guys are not, and it makes him very effective and malleable and flexible within offenses like Denver's, which can flex and, and move any kinds of ways. Yeah, I think some of this is also recency bias, which I think is why it's such an interesting thing. Because of course, I mean Brown Brown was awful at times in the playoffs, but how much of that is because of the hand versus like just other stuff that he tends to struggle with? Totally fair. Showing up again. This episode is brought to you by Sonic. Fuel up for game day and any day really at Sonic for a limited time. You can get the new dollar ninety nine Sonic crispy tender wraps, and trust me, you don't want to miss out a crispy chicken tender and bold flavors like hickory barbecue and cheesy Baja, crisp lettuce, and melty cheese that make the perfect bite. So go get yourself some TLC, some tender love and chicken, and buy a $1.99 Sonic Crispy Chicken Tinder Wrap today. Tax not included. Limited time only at participated Sonic drive-ins. This episode is brought to you by Honda. There's a lot that could impress you about the all-new Prologue EV. True, it's got class-leading passenger space and clean, thoughtful design and intuitive technology. But what really sets the prologue apart from the competition is that it's more than an EV. It's a Honda. Honda, the power of dreams. Visit honda.com slash prologue to learn more. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. If you're busy like me and you're trying to catch your kids' games, 
it's important to have somewhere where you can go to find a good hotel. We're all over the place. Sometimes, you know, we're in Florida, we'll be in New York. We want to take the wife on a quick vacation and get away. Whether you're looking for a relaxing getaway or heading out of town to see the playoffs, Hotels.com app has a perfect hotel for every trip. Compare up to five hotels side by side so you can see prices, amenities, and star ratings without having to switch back and forth between options. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app today. All right, let's uh, let's jump to the heat quickly because I don't want to get out of this pod before we talk about them. Um, how much do we think this is repeatable? Because on the one hand, I almost feel like this is an outlier, just magical, one of the like craziest runs we've seen in history. And it kind of got overlooked at times in the finals just because the heat kind of whimpered out of out of these playoffs. Um, versus like the fact that they kind of have done similar things in the past. It's like they they did make it to the conference finals and the bubbles and all this other stuff. They pushed the the Celtics to seven. And so I have no idea what to do with the heat. If your guys are like, no, they're going to be in the play-in again next year, or you're like probably going to be back in the NBA finals, I would probably believe either argument at this point. I think what makes it hard to project them is even if you asked their own players in February... (laughs) I don't think they would have expected to be in the finals. Like they, they are not the kind of team where they believed internally and all of us outside did not. They, I think they were as shaken by their play as anybody. And uncertain is like, why aren't we the team that we used to be? Why aren't we performing at the level we expect to? And maybe that speaks to the larger effect here, which is the Heat have grown accustomed to the fact that they can plug and play guys and reach pretty elite results, consistently get to the NBA finals more than almost any team out there right now, right? Like this is whether you're talking about getting to the deep stages of the playoffs, they're a pretty decent bet, no matter how much talent they have on their roster. And so the question of whether this is replicable, look, our, our job in analyzing that gets significantly easier if all of a sudden there's one more star on this team or even just a couple more talented role players on this team because they have absolutely proven they can fill the gaps and plug guys in and make a workable rotation out of almost anything. It's just like a lot hangs on Jimmy Butler's shoulders to to get drag you all the way to the finish line in the playoffs if he doesn't have a little bit more shot creation help. Yeah, I think three out of four conference finals suggest some repeatability. Pretty like, freaking that's good. That's pretty damn good um, when you consider y'all's MVP has never made it once in his life. Um, I, I think that's that speaks to just how good they are, truly. And I think watching them play in the playoffs, dude, and Spo being known as a defensive coach, but the crispness and precision of the offense that these dudes run is quite impressive, man. Um, there is a level of calculation, ruthless efficiency to what they're trying to do on offense that most teams do not possess. So I think that's going to be hard to guard no matter what. And, of course, they're, they're going to bring the defense because it's Spo and, and it's the Heat and it's the culture. <laughs> and I, I just think if they do make some roster improvements, they're going to be damn good again. The only thing that I will say as a drawback is, like, it's not only is Jimmy, like, 34 now, um... Tom Thibodeau had his hooks in him in the early parts of his career. Like, goddamn, has that yep. been a death knell for everybody? Um, it ages I mean, a man. Like, dude, like, go down the damn list of those bulls. Joe Keen, um, Derek Rose, Luol yeah. Deng. Like, all of these guys' careers have not been like 
flourishing in the late periods of it. I think even Joakim, he was bad prematurely. Like, those injuries killed him prematurely to the point where I thought the Knicks signed him to a good deal when they got this dude. And he stunk up the joint from the beginning of that bad deal, right? And so you wonder about that part of it. But if Jimmy can stay reasonably healthy, man, um, I think they could be right there again. Why not? Yeah, so it really is two paths going forward. You would assume that the Heat are going to do something this offseason. The way the contracts align, it just seems like they are in prime position to strike this offseason. They have Lowry on an expiring. Although, like, I think there's a fair conversation to be had. Like, how much was Lowry just, like, juicing that second union, like, a part of their big success this postseason? Uh, they have Jimmy Bam and then Hero's extension kicks in. Uh, Struess, Vincent, Love, all free agents. I think you can either go down the star path and really swing for the fences, although not only this offseason do some of the restrictions of the new CBA kick in, but the following offseason is when the big boy penalties start to kick in. Like you can't basically move outside of the arena without being like shocked by a cattle prong <laughs> at that point. Or do you think there's like enough here rolling back some of it, like maybe replacing a Struce if he gets a big deal with the next two a guy from, from Kalamazoo wherever, and just like rolling forward and maybe just shoring up that power forward position where it's like, Hey, we cycled through like 20 guys this postseason. If we just had someone like a Kyle Kuzma or, or like above average shooting power forward, is this team at that level good enough to just roll this back and have similar results? Well, I think the good news is that they showed during this run that, Tyler Hero could be a means to obtain such a player. That mm. if you just take what else you had and because plug of the in, bucket hats, people would want that on their <laughs> sideline. It's it's a value add, as we bucket all know. Bucket hats and white shades. <laughs> just the, the collection of bucket hats. I have to say, it wasn't just the like variety, one or two. The We're sheer like, variety. It's true. Versatile. I'm concerned. Uh, a lot of time on TikTok. I'll tell you that. <laughs> Someone has to. <laughs> But yeah, if like if they were just able to trade him for another valuable rotation player, preferably someone, as you said, with a little bit of size, that version of the team, I think, is going to be pretty good. Where I get a little concerned is like Max Struess, Gabe Vincent, both being free agents. It does have a whiff of the like Dion Waiters, Kelly Olynyk, Tyler Johnson, let's pay all the guys to come back heat free yeah. agent class. Um, especially after kind of like a magical run here where those guys were really effective and really valuable. And so I, I do have some concerns about it, but Miami, as we've talked about before, has an incredible capacity to get out of what we conceive of as overpaid deals or as deals that like, I'm not quite sure how the team would be able to build around having these role players on these large contracts. And yet over and over again, they're able to flip them to other places. They're able to turn them into, you know, two and three players, several of which end up being valuable for them in their own ways. The fact that they can look at players in other situations, G League or otherwise, and find value where other teams don't, I think speaks to their ability to even maximize some of the deals we sign, they signed that we don't necessarily like down the line. So I, I'm, not, I'm not overly concerned about their future. I think they will find ways to win. I think they will find ways to have an effective rotation. It just gets so much easier if you are able to either swing a, a hero trade or you know flip Kyle Lowry's contract for, for a player of significant value or just find some other way to go star hunting because players do want to come to Miami still. And in some of those situations, including getting Jimmy Butler in the first place, the Heat didn't have to give up that much to land Jimmy Butler. You know, some of those deals just kind of work out that way. But if a player know, has they, a very the clear owners, interest. The owners hate sign and trade. So that that's going to be tougher to execute 
going down what, the line. Well, so. and they're just going to get harder under the new CBA too, regardless of uh, of anybody's preferences. Well, Waz, let me ask you this. So you're Pat Riley. You've got a lot of rings. Your hair is slicked back and you have a fine Gucci suit <laughs> you got a on lot you. Of rings. Pretty much basically what you look like on a standard Friday night in New York. Right, yeah. right, right. Absolutely. Um, usual, actually, just a very usual pod recording, if we're being honest. <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. Yeah, absolutely. So you have your big board of options you can go chasing. What is, how would you rank these? Damian Lillard, Bradley Beal, Carl Anthony Towns, or even just like someone that I didn't mention there? I think Damian Lillard is number one with a bullet because of all the people that you just named, he is an actual game changer. Like his ability to make defenses react in panicky ways. Like Brad Bill and Carl Towns just don't do that. They're wonderful offensive players, but they just don't do that. And more importantly than that, and like Carl, could you imagine Carl Towns oh my in Miami? God. Like his temper. Oh, he would be. He would completely change. He would just have like uh, like five <laughs> earrings on each ear. He would yeah. have tattoos everywhere. He would be a badass within five months. He's, he's the deep voice register Carl Towns all the time now. It's just who I he think, is. I think, temp, I think temperamentally, Dame makes the most sense um, yeah. with that crew. Uh, he's the most like business-minded as far as his approach to his craft. You know what I'm saying? Like He's the most professional guy of that crew. So I think Dame should definitely be number one. He also um, seems pretty into the idea of playing there. You know, it yeah, was a very, I mean, it was a very to like, Instagram uh, live. man, very, very NBA players are just like us moments. Justin, you were just asking Waz to power rank these options. Damian Lillard was asked on that. <laughs> yeah, I think it was a Showtime already... show. If you yeah. were hypothetically traded to these teams, how would you power rank them? And the Miami was the number one choice. Oh, on his he, face. He seemed very happy to entertain the idea of being yeah. a member of the Miami Heat for what that's worth. And also, in the, the person that I would say next after that, because, like, Towns, I just, I don't know. I don't know how, if you're Miami, you do something like that. Uh, and, again, you already have Bam. The, the guy's, it's not just his temperament, his defense. It's just, I just can't see that working. But to me, Kuzma would be an incredible fit because the Strews, Caleb Martin archetype, Kuz is already that player but does way more. He just has way more of a track record of doing stuff with the ball in his hands. He's a hustle guy. He's not He's not a shutdown defender now, but he's a high-effort guy, high-IQ guy. I think Kuz would be a beautiful fit in Miami, to be honest. Yeah. Can I throw out someone in the Kuzma realm as well? Let's say Lillard gets traded elsewhere. Mm-hmm. The Heat swoop in, sign in trade Jeremy Grant. Rob loves Love it. it. Yeah. Absolutely love it. Look, I'm I'm an easy I'm an easy mark. I feel like he's more expensive than Kuzma, but like, yeah, yeah for all the reasons I named, he's just as good, if not better, than Kuzma at that role that he would be filling. And guess what, man? Like Caleb Martin and Max Strews don't dribble the ball because they kind of don't want to. Like they they know they know they're not really that good at it. Um, and you know, we saw every time Duncan Robinson. <laughs> Put the ball on the floor. Jeff Van Gundy was like, whoa, wait, hold on. What the hell is going on? Like, but again, like those opportunities will be there for you to run dribble handoffs and different kind of things um, to be involved in the offense. This is not some, like in the playoffs, yes, Jimmy ups his usage percentage, but like he generally doesn't even want to do that. Right. And so, yeah, there's going to be opportunities for people like Grant who in the past have 
you know, sort of carped about a role and a disagreement about it and this and that. So, yeah, I think that would be a beautiful fit. Well, and to bring like the whole final situation full circle, Grant has a little bit of that Aaron Gordon quality in terms of he's shown he can do the things you're talking about, Waz, offensively. He's shown he can carry a big load on a lesser team. And so in a moment where the defense is shifting away from him, he has yeah. that capacity to, to step in and be an overqualified third option for your team. If you just think about like, we were talking about moving Kevin Love into the starting lineup for them just as a way to get size and the fact that they they needed that size to survive. What if that size is a much longer, much more athletic, much more versatile yeah. offensive player in Jeremy Grant? Jeremy Grant, who, who also is a very good shooter from the perimeter, yep. can mimic what Love does and then a lot more. Man, a player like that would be really valuable for Miami. Yeah, I love that. Come be the guy that we needed in the finals. And that, like, you don't, you're not going to be the guy all the time, but you are going to be the guy we need to get over the hump. That's a good sales yeah. pitch. All right, before we go here, we do have some non-finals related news. Um, as the draft draws near next week on Thursday, it's starting to seem like the Pelicans potentially maybe would be considering trading our friend Zion Williamson. Um, I think the initial reports were basically that the Pelicans were looking at moving into the two, three range with eyes on Scoot Henderson. I think part of that could be just that the Pelicans are looking at the new CBA and saying like, Oh, we've got a lot of contracts stacked up here, especially after <laughs> signing CJ McCollum to that extension, which I definitely panned as soon as it happened. And I've got receipts for that one as well. Um, <laughs> but how much of this is also, you know, the fact that they are slowly and steadily getting pretty tired of the Zion experience. Um, was where are you if you're in the Pelicans front office? So now you, you've downshifted from the Gucci to perhaps something more off the rack. Um, mm. Are you basically like, nah, I need to get rid of this guy. Can't win with him. Doesn't play. Or are you more worried that if we get rid of this guy and somehow he does play and becomes the player we all know he can be like that is going to haunt us forever. And we can't do that. If I'm the Pelicans front office, I'm not getting off of Zion because he is Head and shoulders, the best player on my team. Um, and I have him under contract. His his extension hasn't even freaking kicked in yet. And so I'm not getting rid of that dude until I give this a couple more spins on the good old Wheel of Fortune. However, he's only head and shoulders the best player on my team when he actually plays. Availability being the best ability, all of those freaking stupid cliches and all of that. And so, therefore, it's my belief as Waz, the podcaster, <laughs> and, and not in my capacity as Griff's replacement, mm. um, that he does he should be a trade candidate for that fact alone. He should be up for trade as a possibility on the merits. He hasn't played, he doesn't play. There's no indication that he's going to play. His off-court life, both conditionally what he's doing with his body and other things that he's doing with his body are off the charts problematic, okay? And concerning. And so, yeah, like, you don't get the feeling that, you know, again, not to bring it back to Jokic, but like... You know, you hear these stories where he's doing these freaking ridiculously intense um, workouts after every game because it's just his routine. He thinks this is how he gets better. This is how he stays in shape. There's another guy who struggled with his fucking body. I'm watching this dude huff it up and down the freaking court in the most high-intensity games of the season. So it's like, what's anybody's excuse? If, if I look at that dude 
And he can get his conditioning to that um, extent. And there's no indication that Zion is doing that. And then you hear about the management that's around him. And it's just like, like I don't know. The reasons are piling up that you want to just get off the asset. But for me, I would personally be like, yo, the dude's extension hasn't kicked in yet. We, we, we smartly put protections for ourselves within that contract. He's... He's so easily our best player when he's out there, man. Like, it's not a one-two type of thing. He's the number one guy on the team. And there were moments this season where it looked like, yo, we could really compete with people. Justin Very even thought we were going to the finals. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah, man. Like, no, nah, I'm not trading him if, if it's me, but I see the I see the vision. Well, Justin said anyone could beat the Nuggets. So, I mean, why not the Pelicans, too? <laughs> the Hornets, yeah. The, the G League Ignite. <laughs> Overtime elite. <laughs> uh, Waz, I, I think I think you're right though to separate your capacity as podcaster versus general manager because that's kind of where this conversation splits apart. Yeah. It's very easy for us to say you should trade Zion because he hasn't been available because of the headache he creates by being unavailable, by all of the, the reports we hear about his habits and what he does. There's just a very tangible difference in being the guy who gave up on Zion Williamson, who is so clearly one of the most talented players in the NBA, and the way that could hang over you for basically the rest of your professional life if you bail on that experiment too early, which is why we see so often in situations like this one and others, teams will hold on pretty long un until a player is basically out the door on their own on their own grounds, on their own for their own reasons, versus like preemptively dealing guys who are either unhappy or chronically injured or just like not even the best fits necessarily, it's very hard to bail on that kind of talent. And for that reason, I suspect these talks are a lot more exploratory in nature than they are like actually productive. I, I would still be very surprised if Zion ends up getting traded, but you have to entertain the possibility. You, ha you have to take those calls at this point, which is that's the, the demarcation point between Zion when he was drafted, Zion when he was first showing glimpses of what he could be in the NBA to now, is you have to take the call and you have to take it seriously and at least think about, oh, with these, these other potential stars or picks or whatever that looks like that you could get in return, how do you not at least think about that when Zion isn't going to be available, at least hasn't been available for more than you know 30 or 40 games in some of these seasons? So I'm going to regret this question as I'm asking it, not even as soon as I finish. But was you mentioned something where you were concerned by Zion's off-court behavior. And I'm actually curious, like, how concerning is that actually? Because it's a question I've asked myself, where it's like, how much of this is just, like, typical NBA Tom Cattery, Tom Foolery, whatever no, Tom no, you want to no, throw no. out there, versus, like, this being an actual issue? No, because for me, it's of a whole. It's not mm. isolated. It's of a whole. It's like... He's just not serious about professionalism. Like he doesn't walk, he doesn't carry himself like a professional, like the franchise cornerstone that he is in all aspects of this stuff. Okay. And so if this happened in isolation, I could chalk it up to a young man making a young man's mistake. God knows I've made plenty of them. But like, all of these things feel like a guy who's getting bad advice constantly and who there is no accountability in his operation. And I mean, I'm not talking about 
how he is as a guy. Like, I'm sure he's a great dude. I'm sure he's like a, a nice, warm human being. I'm sure I would love to be buddies with, with Zion on a personal level. But on a professional level, he's, he has not displayed the characteristics of a serious, professional-minded cat. And that just not, has not been the case. That's not just with news like this. That's with the way his current and active teammates talk about him in terms mm. of his professional habits and the like how seriously he takes his rehab, how much how much he's even around the team when he's out of the lineup versus he's just kind of parallel Bro, to it doing his when, thing. When CJ took that little swipe at the end of the season was just like <laughs> I'm playing. It's the playoffs. I'm in here. I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. I thought that was the rules. Yeah. I thought that was the code. And by the way, CJ getting ripped for playing poorly while injured because that's sometimes the way it goes. So what we're saying is you need burner accounts on your Snapchat. You need to like not no photos. That's a veteran. Well, I mean... Do, do, are we, I mean, are, are, <laughs> how deep are you going here? I mean, are we, are we, no, are, not we gonna, are we, are, are we going to pretend the Draymond situation never happened? Yeah, yeah. Those are the early days of Snapchat. Justin, you're saying he didn't know the functionality yet, like he didn't know how to share it to specific friends, just blasting it out. Well, I guess what I'm suggesting is Zion should have learned from his, his forefathers in, in this instance. But no, I, I think a big part of this also is the other side of the coin here. It's like, how much are the Blazers going to give up this prime asset in the hopes of making the most of Damian Lillard's like waning prime by bringing in Zion, who has played 29 games over the past two seasons, is averaging 29 games. Like, How much are the Hornets, a team that desperately needs anything to inject enthusiasm into their building, going to bring in Zion, who does not play? Like, They're literally giving away tickets and selling them for like a dollar. The one thing you can't have is a guy not showing up and playing. So I, I, I almost wonder if this is just like so public of a thing at this point because the Pelicans want to light a fire under his ass to basically suggest like, listen, we could trade your ass. So please, for the love of God, get in line we're tired of dealing with this will that make him get in line though it might actually do the opposite honestly it might actually push him farther out the door but like it sounds like based on everything that's out there that like they're at that point in just Bro, like their, their gripes some, with him. some of the stuff that i've heard in relation to the people who are managing his career dude like you know these are things that I'm, I'm not able to confirm independently but like some of the stuff gets it gets out there dude yeah um all right why don't we wrap it there long podcast but i think we're off this weekend so thank well, you well we left to- it we left it all on the court justin like we did it yeah. just like the nuggets god knows the off season is coming up we did this thing like we we looked at this like a game we got to play 46 minutes of finals level intensity and that's what we did for the fans man we left it on the court just just three christian browns out here just all diving that's for it. loose balls together <laughs> christian brown my best boy <laughs> no no doubt about our podcast unlike the, the credibility of the minutes. wow wow no i'm kidding i'm kidding he's not kidding maybe i'm kidding who knows all right let's leave it at that thank you to isaiah blakely for jumping back on here thank you to ben cruz uh we'll be back next week we'll see you
This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. If you're busy like me and you're trying to catch your kids' games, it's important to have somewhere where you can go to find a good hotel. We're all over the place. Sometimes, you know, we're in Florida, we'll be in New York. We want to take the wife on a quick vacation and get away. Whether you're looking for a relaxing getaway or heading out of town to see the playoffs, Hotels.com app has a perfect hotel for every trip. Compare up to five hotels side by side so you can see prices, amenities, and star ratings without having to switch back and forth between options. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app today. This episode is brought to you by Lululemon. Guys, if you're ready for a new pair of pants, try one of Lululemon's ABC pants. They're made to make you look and feel good. And there's lots of different styles to choose from. My favorite, because I walk around LA every day, I like the joggers. I'm not jogging, I'm just walking fast. But if you're working out, I would try them out. And if you want something a little sleek, maybe business-like, maybe try the ABC Slim Fit Trouser, but I am a joggers guy. I just, once COVID happened, I was just like, I'm, I want to wear jogging pants and joggers and all kinds of soft pants as much as I possibly can, especially when I'm working out. Ultra comfortable and versatile. ABC pants are really in a league of their own. Buy a pair right now at lululemon.com. 